BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Welcome back to It Could Happen Here. It's still Shireen, and I'm still joined with the one and only James Stout. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for uh, having me. Yeah, anytime. The listeners, they get what they want, you know? They, they demanded it, and here we are, delivering. <laughs> log on to the subreddit. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean... voices heard. I was interested in having someone else uh, receive the information I had, because mm-hmm. it's really hard to do it by myself, and it's also yeah. hard not to, like, sound like a bored professor or something, because I just sound like this. Um, <laughs> something I have experience with, yeah. yeah. No, you don't sound like a bored professor, but it's also very emotionally challenging to just be yeah. like, here are some terrible fucking things that have happened again. And, and Exactly. To, uh, yeah. It's nice and when to you're by yourself, it's like, it, it feels a lot heavier for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm glad to have someone else on anyway. Thank you. Today, I wanted to talk about something that happened 75 years ago this month. So there's going to be some history here, but I think it's really important history. So please uh, stay tuned if you want to learn some stuff. But 75 years ago this month, before Israel was officially established, the Deir Yassin massacre happened. This massacre was part of the Nakba or the catastrophe, and it matters even 75 years later. And it should always serve as a reminder of the atrocities and massacres that took place in order for a country that was already there to be stolen, renamed, terrorized, have people killed and forcibly removed from their homes. And the indigenous people uh, were expelled uh, from their homes and the ownership of their own land was granted to someone else. And I think reminding everybody of what happened to make that happen 
is extremely important because we're not that far removed from that brutalization. It's not like we can say like, oh, that was medieval times. Like people were different. It's like, no, that was like less than 100 years ago. Shut up. The Nakba, a.k.a. the catastrophe in Arabic, it refers to the violent expulsion of approximately three quarters of all Palestinians from their homes and homeland by Zionist militias and the new Israeli army during the State of Israel's establishment between 1947 and 1948. The Nakba was a deliberate and systematic act intended to establish a Jewish-majority state in Palestine. Amongst themselves, Zionist leaders use the euphemism quote-unquote transfer when discussing plans for what today would be called ethnic cleansing. The roots of the Nakba and the ongoing problems in Palestine and Israel today, they lie in the emergence of the political Zionism from the late 1800s, when some European Jews, influenced by the nationalism that was sweeping the continent, they decided that the solution to anti-Semitism in Europe and Russia was the establishment of a state for Jews in Palestine. They began immigrating to Palestine as colonizers, where they started depossessing indigenous Muslim and Christian Palestinians. In November of 1947, following World War II and the Holocaust, the newly created United Nations approved of a plan to divide Palestine into Jewish and Arab states against the will of the majority indigenous Palestinian Arab population. Again, this was not their decision or choice to make. Regardless, the UN approved of a plan to divide Palestine into Jewish and Arab states against the will of Palestinian people. It gave 56% of that land to the proposed Jewish state, despite the fact that Jews only owned about 7% of the private land in Palestine and made up only 33% of the population. And a very large percentage of this percentage of 33% were recent immigrants from Europe. So handing over more than half of someone else's land truly doesn't make sense. I don't care what religious text you're citing. It was wrong at this point in time to take that land. It was just wrong. The Palestinian Arab state was to be created on just 42% of Palestine, even though Muslim and Christian Palestinians made up a large majority of the population and were indigenous to all of the land. Jerusalem was to be governed by a special international administration. Almost immediately after the partition plan was passed, the expulsion of Palestinians by Zionist militias began months before the arming of neighboring Arab states began to be involved. So there was no other person to say, don't do this. Or like, there was there was no one else to fight to hold them back, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And by the time these Zionist militias and the new Israeli army finished, the new state of Israel covered 78% of Palestine. So they didn't even follow the rules either. They just kept on swallowing up the land that wasn't even theirs to begin with, with this violent Nakba that it's just, it's it's a terrible, horrific thing they did. There is a film on Netflix called Farha. It's the first film that depicts any kind of uh, story about the Nakba. And it's by a Palestinian filmmaker. It's really powerful. Uh, I would recommend seeing that if you want an example of what happened, because it's all factual as far as like the terror that they did. Um, so I'd recommend that film. Give it five stars for the haters. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I can imagine the reviews are just like d- yeah. death. Yeah, that was the film that the Israeli government tried to to, to ban. And they were uh, a, a lot of Zionists were commenting like terrible things about it like, and giving it one star or whatever. They wanted Netflix to take it off Netflix. Mm-hmm. 
But no, we fuck the haters. Help us out. Yeah. Five stars. Put it on the background of your TV. It doesn't matter. Just, just, <laughs> just keep streaming it on a just loop. Keep streaming it. Exactly. Yeah. Strike a blow against colonialism. But that's just your... an example of how important and and scared they are of the truth. Uh, because it's a movie. It's a fucking movie. Yeah. Control of the narrative is so important in these things. Exactly. Right? Like, yes. Uh, and even the, the way you refer to it, right? Not, not calling it the Nakba, like... Mm-hmm. Calling calling it a transfer, not a cleansing. Exactly. Uh, these things, calling it like not referring to it in the same terms as we would do like the genocidal uh, settler colonialism that settled this country, or you know the way that Britain and France and Germany behaved in Africa, like trying trying to not like specifically opposing calling it an apartheid state, mm-hmm. right? When when it, 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 that's what it is. That's what it does. Like all of those things are so important, and they might seem like petty battles, but uh, they they really control how we see things. I think when you control language, you can control how people perceive things. One hundred percent. And I think controlling the narrative is so parallel to like controlling the history books because that's what mm-hmm. gets remembered by the people that want to the narrative to have a certain thing. Not all history books, obviously, but a lot of the times. The things that are considered facts are biased, you know? Um, I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, or you're only getting half of the the things, right? Or like, yeah, like, I mean, as a historian, like, we are all biased. Um, and so we, we should declare our biases and sort of go forward that way rather than presenting our biases as unbiased and neutral mm-hmm. and then obviously creating a biased thing, um, yeah. which, which is what we tend to get in the US, especially when we look at this stuff, right? Yeah, no, totally. I love that I like, I didn't bash historians, but I criticized them. But you're like, I'm a historian. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I know I you. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't, I will not uh, jump to the defense of Zionist historians. I've worked with like, uh, I, um, I, there's a chapter in my book about volunteers in the Spanish Civil War. Um, and like about 30% of volunteers were Jewish people, right? Mm. And many of them had been like, uh, didn't, couldn't go back to uh, like, there, there are some of them who like fought in the Spanish Civil War, were guerrillas in the Second World War, survived the Holocaust in some cases, and then were anti-Zionist. And so like they didn't have a place. Like mm-hmm. they, you know, there, there wasn't a place for them as people who had had stuck to their very decent principles of like you shouldn't impose shit on force by people who don't want it and uh, mm-hmm. were opposed to fascism or opposed to colonialism. There, there wasn't a place for them in, in that sort of post-World War II Jewish movement, that Zionist movement, there were in other places, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very sad that their stories aren't like like if a, a friend of mine was the person who first wrote articles about them, but like their memory is completely erased, right? Mm-hmm. And or yeah. at least it's not present. And then they should be people that like any reasonable person would be very proud of, right? They were willing yeah. to die for someone else's battle, and then. Yeah, they were kind of that. They they stuck to the same principles the whole way through, and, and the world kind of moved around them. Yeah, and I mean, I think as time goes on, those things won't even be existing in people's reality. You know what I mean? Like, if no one remembers that that happened, if no one is part yeah. of what that happened, like it's just going to go away. It's going to disappear. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to do history and to do like to use different sources, right? Yeah. And to do history. Uh, from a people's perspective, not from a perspective of people who are in power. Uh, exactly. And, and wow. History that's from powerful. below. 
That's what we call it. But, Wait, say, uh, say that sounds one more time. <laughs> if people call it history from below, but uh, like, and to look at other sources, right? Like, um, without like riding my hobby horse too much, um, <laughs> like I was primarily a historian of sport and anti-fascism and like specifically sport i got a ton of pushback on when i started because it's not mm. important right um mm -hmm. and it's not you know it's not like fucking I, d I don't have any charts or whatever uh and um like it's actually very important it's where people were able to express uh, who they were and who was on the team and who was not on their team right and that's where you find these people who are very impactful in lots of other areas and i think like if I was a younger person and I was trying to find my way, find my identity and be like, hey, does Zionism seem wrong? Like in the same way that other things seem wrong. To have those people to be like, yeah, these people also saw that, right? Like they didn't want a boot on anyone's neck. Yeah. Uh, not, not just not, not, didn't want it to be their boot on someone else's neck and that was fine. You know, they'd like, having seen the Holocaust, having seen what happened in Spain, they're yeah. like, nah, this shit is wrong. It's still wrong. It doesn't matter if we're doing it. Um, yeah, their humanity prevailed. You know, yeah, it's, and it's important for people like to have those uh, those stories to be like, okay, well, I'm not fucking crazy, mm -hmm. or it's not that I just don't understand what it was like back then, because exactly. a lot of people could see it and were like, nah, we shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Wow, historian James, thank you for joining yeah. me today. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, why are you like, apologizing? I love that shit. The fucking it's great. nerd. No, I love it. Uh, history from below is what you said. Yeah, that's quite an old theme now. But I mean, like, I think it's a good thing to to abide by. So I'm yeah. glad that there's a little catchy phrase it, for it. Stuart Hall and things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll do another episode on this one day. Yes, please. So as we mentioned before, Israel stole about 78% of Palestine, and then this left 22%. And the 22% was compromised of the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza. And these regions fell under the control of Jordan and Egypt, respectively. In the 1967 war, the Israeli military occupied the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza, and Israel began colonizing them shortly afterwards. And just to give you some numbers, I, I, I think they're important sometimes just to get the context of the scale of something, but the Nakba by the numbers is uh, what I'm about yeah. to continue. Between 750,000 and 1 million Palestinians were expelled from their homeland and they were made refugees by Zionist militias, amounting to approximately 75% of all Palestinians. Between 250,000 and 350,000 Palestinians were driven out from their homes by Zionist militias between the passage of the UN Partition Plan on November 29th of 1947 and the establishment of Israel on May 15th of 1948, prior to the outbreak of war with the neighboring Arab states. Several dozen massacres of Palestinians were carried out by Zionist militias and the Israeli army, which played a critical role in prompting the flight of many Palestinians from their homes. More than 100 Palestinians, including dozens of children, women, and elderly people, were massacred in the Palestinian town of Deir Yassin, near Jerusalem on April 9th of 1948, by Zionist militia. This is the main massacre I want to talk about today because it's been exactly 75 years on April 9th. But it was one of many massacres, and it was the one that is cited as igniting a lot of like a domino effect. The massacre at Deir Yassin was one of the worst atrocities committed during the Nakba and a pivotal moment in Israel's establishment as a Jewish majority state. And again, it triggered the flight of Palestinians from their homes in Jerusalem and beyond. The Deir Yassin massacre is commemorated annually by Palestinians around the world. Approximately 150,000 Palestinians remained inside what became Israel's borders in 1948, 
a quarter of them internally displaced. These Palestinians, who are sometimes referred to as Israeli Arabs, were granted Israeli citizenship but stripped of most of their land and governed by violent, undemocratic military rule as of 1966. As of 2023, there are more than 2 million Palestinians with Israeli citizenship, comprising more than 20% of Israel's population, and they are forced to live as second-class citizens in their own homeland, subject to dozens of laws that discriminate against them in almost every aspect of life because they're not Jewish. Let's take our first break here, and I'll come back and tell you more terrible things. So, PRP. <laughs> Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or... Check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Okay, we're back. I'm going to finish up a little bit more of these numbers, and then I'm going to talk about Dir Yassin. More than 400 Palestinian cities and towns were systematically destroyed by Zionist militias and the new Israeli army, or they were repopulated with Jews between 1948 and 1950. Most Palestinian communities, including homes, businesses, houses of worship, vibrant urban centers, they were destroyed to prevent the return of their Palestinian owners, who were now refugees outside of Israel's borders, or they were internally displaced inside them. 
Today, there are more than 7.2 million Palestinian refugees, including Nakba survivors and their descendants. They're located mostly in the occupied West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza, and neighboring Arab countries such as Lebanon, Jordan, and Syria, and they're denied their internationally recognized legal right to return to their homeland. This is the last big number I want to say, just because I think it's, it's so big I had to say it. Approximately 4 million 244,776 acres of Palestinian land was stolen by Israel during and immediately after the establishment of the state in 1948. Millions of acres. Like, it's not just a tiny little place that no one was in before. Like, no, millions of, of acres of land were forcibly stolen. Yeah. So, yeah. And all of them, like land that people have had for generations that they've farmed like this is like it's not the oldest settlement on earth but people have been living here for tens of thousands of yes. years I, I said Al-Aqsa yesterday was built in 1035 like yeah this shit is very old and like sometimes the same people or people's sort of family have lived it's not just a like loss of property so mm-hmm. loss of everything that's sacred and, and like, like the Al-Aqsa mosque or these things that are sacred and important to you you know um, yeah. And yeah, similar to what you said earlier, it's like we have to remember these things because otherwise they'll get forgotten in the in whoever's recording the history. You know what I mean? Like it's Yeah. I mean they have been here, right? When we look at how America sees itself, it sees the land that it it, it, it expanded into as like terra nullius, like like empty mm-hmm. land that that was unoccupied, which it was not. There was not a wilderness to tame. Like there were people living here and they were living very happily and they were living in, they weren't like I don't want to do the whole like uh, like in in commune with nature thing, but like this it wasn't a wild and savage place, right? There were people existing here and, and taking from the land and living on the land, and like we that just doesn't get fucking like Ruth Bader Ginsburg was citing the doctrine of discovery, you know, like and all the libs love Ruth Bader Ginsburg, mm-hmm. but like it, it's so subsumed into what America is. Yeah. Uh, that like like it's Obama a, yeah. did a fucking tweet like this nation was built on peaceful protest it was built on fucking genocide <laughs> like, like fuck off yeah but we've allowed uh. that to just go completely forgotten right like you don't yeah. go to school in California and be like oh there is a fucking unit that just changed actually there was a Unipero Hesera high school and like this is a person who did genocide like, like wow. we, we wouldn't have a fucking Goebbels high school in Germany uh you know, and, and Britain does a shit too. I'm not, not like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm in a glass house, so I don't say that. But uh, yeah, we, we, this wasn't an empty place. And it's really important to remember that because that is so often the talking point of fucking stupid people that try to defend what Israel is doing. Let's go to now the main massacre or topic I want to talk about today, which happened on April 9th in 1948, just weeks before the creation of the State of Israel. When members of the Ergun and Stern gang, Zionist militias, attacked the village of Dir Yassin, and they killed at least 107 Palestinians. Zionist militias tore through Palestinian villages, massacring villagers and expelling those who remained alive to clear the way for the creation of the State of Israel. And this was one of the many massacres that happened during the Nakba, where, again, an estimated 15,000 Palestinians were killed and some 750,000 fled their homes as refugees. It ignited a very terrifying domino effect. 
This year, the UN will host its first ever high-level event to commemorate this forced displacement that resulted in the establishment of the State of Israel in May of 1948. So this is the first time ever that the UN has recognized that the Nakba even happened, or like, is, is, is it happened enough to mention it and commemorate it. But Palestinians have never ceased to commemorate the loss of each village that was once part of their homeland. Among them was Deir Yassin, and it was a village perched on a hill west of Jerusalem. And this massacre has become emblematic of the suffering that Israel would inflict on the Palestinians. Many of the people slaughtered, from those who were tied to trees and burned to death, to those lined up against a wall and shot by submachine guns, many of these people were women, children, and the elderly. And Farha does a really good job of showing this lack of discrimination of, of life in general in that movie that I mentioned earlier. As the news of these atrocities spread, thousands fled their villages in fear. So again, on April 9th of 1948, the Israeli militia struck Deir Yassin, where about 700 Palestinians lived. According to the Israeli narrative, Operation Nashon, N-A-C-H-H-S-O-N, apologies if I mispronounce that, but this operation aimed to break through the blockaded road to Jerusalem, and the fighters encountered stiff resistance from the villagers that forced them to advance slowly from house to house. It's kind of silly. And strange how the same excuse is being used like a century later to justify acts of terror. They're saying that villagers resisted them and that's why they butchered them. It's Yeah. It's 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 pathetic. It's stupid and pathetic. And like, yeah, for having the, I don't know, temerity to be like, no, you can't take my home. Yeah. They, they carried out a collective punishment on... Yeah, that. and that's the Israeli narrative. That's what their history books say, is that this was the aim of this operation. They were simply encountering the stiff resistance and they had to go from house to house. Like, that's, it's just a fucked up narrative. But Palestinians and some Israeli historians say that the villagers had signed a non-aggression agreement with the Haganah, which was the pre-Israeli state Zionist army. They were nevertheless murdered in cold blood and buried in mass graves. According to a 1948 report filed by the British delegation to the UN, the killing of, quote, some 250 Arabs, men, women, and children took place in circumstances of great savagery. Women and children were stripped, lined up, photographed, and then slaughtered by automatic firing. Those who were taken prisoners were treated with degrading brutality. This is from a 1948 report filed by the British delegation. Like, it's in yeah. the record. Weren't they both, like, the uh, the Stern Gang and the, uh, the whatever the militia was called that Begin was in, it's like IZL, I think, were, like, they hadn't really done any military operations before, right? Like, they'd just been, they'd just, like, bomb, like, they, they did car bombs and shit previous yeah. to this. Mm -hmm. Like, and the, the British had already, like, like, they were, like, they were killing British people and, uh, I guess, uh, Arab people in Palestine before mm -hmm. this. Yeah. So yeah. Like it, it, I mean, the escalation in violence was, like, pretty severe. Um, right. But I think they would have gone there eventually, you know? They just kind of hit yeah, us yeah. forward. I think they'd already, like, established an intention or, like, a willingness to kill just about anyone who got in their way, right? And they wanted to show that they were, like, unlike the like i guess like the labor aligned zionist movement that they were like mm -hmm. more hardcore than that and they exactly they, like that's why they made a spectacle of violence like this mm -hmm. they're establishing their their power and dominance 
Right. Israeli historian Benny Morris said that the militias, quote, ransacked unscrupulously, stole money and jewels from the survivors and burned the bodies. Even dismemberment and rape occurred. I mean, there's nothing to say to that. Yeah. The number of dead is disputed, but it ranges from 100 to 250. A representative of the Red Cross who entered Dir Yassin on April 11th, two days later, they reported seeing the bodies of some 150 people heaped haphazardly in a cave, while around 50 were amassed in a separate location. Prominent Jewish intellectual Martin Buber wrote at the time that such events had been quote-unquote infamous. In Dir Yassin, hundreds of innocent men, women, and children were massacred, he said. Let the village remain uninhabited for the time being. Let its desolation be a terrible and tragic symbol of war and a warning to our people that no practical military needs may ever justify such acts of murder. He also noted that Dir Yassin had a profound demographic and political effect. And he's referring to the fact that the news of this massacre spread and it prompted hundreds of Palestinians to flee their homes. Four nearby villages were next. Kailunia, Seris, Beit Saruk, and Bedou. Dir Yassin was no mistake, according to Israeli historian Ilan Pape. Ilan Pape has been called a Israeli quote-unquote revisionist historian because he, he tells the truth, the actual truth of what happened in their history. <laughs> the, yeah, the concept of revisionist history is nonsense. Uh, mm-hmm. like it, it suggests that like, there is a settled history at some point. Which does not, right? Like, we're, we're always looking at sources again. We're always looking for new sources, different perspectives. It's not like there is, like, this monolith of history and then some meddling bastard comes and chops it down. Uh, it, it's fundamentally, like, misunderstanding how history is done. Uh, yeah. That's why you shouldn't pay attention to Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> uh, for that and many other reasons but yeah it, it's a ridiculous idea he's not he's not like it's not like everyone was like oh yeah this wasn't a bad thing and then he came along and like injected some kind of political animus into, into his history he, he yeah. came along and looked at maybe new sources maybe the same sources that people had I don't know and was like nah you you guys have, uh, you got this wrong you, you yeah. called this wrong like but that's what historians do like you can't fucking write your PhD without disagreeing with someone and doing some new history. Like that's what takes you from a master's to a doctorate. And like, you're supposed to do three articles in a book to get tenure. Like mm-hmm. your, your articles can't just be like, yeah, we pretty much called this one right the first time, <laughs> you know, like the, the, yeah. the process of doing history is to revise and, and hope to better understand things from different perspectives. Totally. I, I like that. That's the point of history is to revise because you're right. Yeah. Uh, and I just think it's it's so discrediting of his work to call him a revisionist historian. It's, yeah, it's, it's condescending, you know. And as someone that interviewed him called him this. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he gave them both barrels because it's it's kind of a ridiculous. Yeah, it shows that they fundamentally aren't qualified to be discussing the topic. I guess. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about what he said, but I realized that I didn't take the last break, and I want to right now, and that is my choice. So, okay. stay tuned. Proud of you. <laughs> Thank you.
Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com Toyota, let's go places BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150 Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome And if you think the fun stops there, the the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. And we're back. We were talking about Elan Pepe, a revisionist quote-unquote historian, but not really, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was called that because he was talking about Israel the way it, was, it should be talked about with actual mm-hmm. historical facts. In one of his writings, Pape wrote, Depopulating Palestine was not a consequential war event, but a carefully planned strategy, otherwise known as Plan Dalet, which was authorized by the Israeli leader Ben-Gurion in March of 1948. Operation Nashon was, in fact, the first step in the plan. And, as I said, the massacre unleashed a cycle of violence and counterviolence that has been the pattern ever since this happened. Jewish forces have regarded any Palestinian village as an enemy state or a military base, and this has paved the way for this blurred distinction between massacring civilians and killing combatants, according to the historian. So what does all of this say about Israel's vision today? This is why I wanted to talk about this, is because this started this whole cycle of violence that we still see perpetuated today. And it's why Palestinians refuse to forget 
it and forget what happened. And they'll always talk about Palestine because they don't want to be erased from history books. Dir Yassin has become a powerful symbol of Palestinian dispossession, as well as a historical fact Israel must confront when retelling its national narrative. According to Pepe, given that terrorism is a mode of behavior that Israelis attribute solely to the Palestinian resistance movement, it could not be a part of any analysis or description of chapters in Israel's past. One way out of this conundrum, he says, was to accredit a particular political group, preferably an extremist one, with the same attributes of the enemy, thus exonerating mainstream national behavior. Israeli historians, as well as Israeli society, they've only been able to admit to the massacre on Dir Yassin by attributing it to the right-wing group Irgun, but have covered up or denied the other massacres, notably the one in Tantura in 1948. This was carried out by the Haganah, the main Jewish militia, from which the current-day Israeli military has evolved from. And despite this shift of blame, leading human rights organizations like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International have labeled Israel itself an apartheid state. I've just seen the worst ever op-ed in the Jerusalem Post about... About what? Tell me. It's, it's about this, uh, but it's about, like, the Nakba. Like, it, it, it contains, like, this kind of narrative that, like, oh, well, the Nakba was, was coined by, Pal- uh, by like, historians to, to, like, explain the failure of the Palestinians to defend themselves, mm-hmm. uh, which is, it's like, a, a, like, what does that fucking matter? <laughs> uh, and, and B, like, what, what, are you, what are you saying? Like, well, like, that contains within it the notion that they would have to defend themselves from someone. Who was that? pal mm-hmm. um and then like uh like going back and forth on the number of people killed like which you know like low estimates are as low as like 107 high estimates are in the 250s um based on claims that the militias themselves made right so like mm-hmm. again uh what well, is it cool to kill like 100 people but 250 people is like you know mm-hmm. we should step in there uh and and just like uh, but the, uh, <laughs> I was just checking the author's affiliation because that's always fun. And he's uh, uh, a research fellow at the Menachem Begin Heritage Center. I, I may have mm. pronounced that incorrectly, but when the organization you work for is 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 memorializing the heritage of one of the dudes who led the massacre, um, you might want to like um, to step aside from. Yeah. I mean, or or not, right? But just <laughs> or just shut up. Just dive the fuck in, but like you, you are flying your flag as a, as a fairly part. It's like I said, right? All historians are biased, but uh, yeah. yes, when like you know, if if uh, if I work at the Colonel Custer Heritage Center, like please take my account of the United States uh, like violent assault on the Lakota people with a pinch of salt, because like I'm I'm coming at this from a certain perspective. Uh, and yeah, it's here we are, twenty twenty three, still still doing the uh, doing the thing where we were yeah. like. Rather than just like taking the L and just being like, oh, like it's bad actually to to yeah. rape and mutilate and and murder people, trying to trying to equivocate. It's funny you mentioned articles though, because yeah. I just saw one when I was researching for Alexa yesterday, uh, of this Israeli cop that admitted that the videos he saw was a bad look. Like that's what he said. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah. like <laughs> good cop. Uh, yeah, and of course the solution to that is to not allow people to take videos of you brutalizing. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's the, the yeah, real that's issue. That's the solution. Here. Yeah, yeah. Tim Apple, uh, no, known anti-cop. <laughs> yeah, anarchist. Um, so Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International have labeled Israel as an apartheid state, and Human Rights Watch said in 2021. 
we reached this determination based on our documentation of an overarching government policy to maintain the domination by Jewish Israelis over Palestinians. As recognition grows that these crimes are being committed, the failure to recognize that reality requires burying your head deeper and deeper into the sand. Today, apartheid is not a hypothetical or future scenario. And I, apartheid is a very light word to use, but I did want to just mention that a an organization said that, not just like, uh, I don't know. There's just, there's, it's, it's officially on paper that Israel sucks. Like, why are we still defending it? I'm just like, go rewatch the Bernie Sanders video from yesterday, like, or audio, because there's no reason we should be funneling any kind of support into that country. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's mad. We still made a lot of money selling weapons to Israel that mm-hmm. are used against, like, um, I know Robert and I pursued a public records request for, going on two years um for like uh these batteries that launch hundreds and hundreds of smoke grenades and flashbangs uh that a u.s company is is selling to israel right like yeah like it's great they can fire them into a mosque i mean not surprising no it's just annoying annoying the 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 wrong word but like yeah there there are people who make a lot of money every time things get more violent there Mm -hmm. right and people who are very invested in that um, yeah. And yeah, that's ghoulish as fuck. It is. Um and that's actually all I have. Uh that's a good a good place to end if any. Um but uh I hope you learned something if you didn't know something in this episode and I hope you go watch Farha or Gods of Fights for Freedom. I don't think this is history that should ever be understated or forgotten. So I'm always more than happy to talk about it even if it's depressing. So thank you for <laughs> joining me today, James. It's okay. It's been very uplifting. I don't, but you're right. It's important. It's uh, it's very important. Um, hopefully one day we'll have the PK Gaza episode. For people yes, that'll well. be great. Um, yeah. I guess if you're in the UK and have old copies of Men's Health, you can read about uh, young people doing Parker in Gaza. Um, it's pretty hopefully sick. Hopefully I will have another story about that soon. But yes. yeah, where should people... I think a good thing maybe if we could end on like... Uh, where where is a good place to find news about um Palestine? Where can people I really like Al Jazeera, especially their opinion pieces are pretty good because mm. a lot of the times they're written by people that are really passionate about what they're writing. Yeah. Um I think following actual Palestinians on social media is always yeah. a uh good call. Like Mohammed Al Kurd is one of the most prominent voices recently that has been uplifted and i would follow his social medias his sister has one as well uh, his family's house was basically we had the threat of being demolished uh last year his house was in sheikh jarrah if you remembered any of that stuff from last year with the violence going on there um i also really like subhi taha he's on instagram mostly and he has a podcast now i would highly recommend following his stuff he is so informed and so uh just easy to understand too. So I would watch that. Um, yeah. And yeah, Mohammed al Kurd actually was on some news program, like, like face the nation or no, maybe not that, yeah. but he was on recently, uh, like basically uh, handing the asses of the people that were talking to him about Israel and Palestine. Um, <laughs> is that the right way to say <laughs> that? I don't know. He yeah. was just stating, he was, he was, not willing to be uh, talked over and whatever. Yeah. Which I yeah. like. Yeah, he shouldn't be. Um, my friend Hossam is a photographer in Palestine. Um, 
most of those Al Jazeera pieces you'll see are his photographs, actually. But, wow. Um, Hossam Salem G. Uh, uh, he's photographed. We've worked together before, but yeah, if, you, if you're a person who'd like to see pictures, uh, his pictures are very good. Yeah, that's a good point too. Also, there are a lot of uh, accounts that are solely about Palestine, and a lot of these Palestinian activists follow them and share them. So you will find more organizations by following yeah. them. There is uh, Eye for Palestine. There's, I think it's like Land Palestine. Like I think there's a lot of really trusted accounts on the internet you just have to find the the ones that are trusted and uh a lot of times it's stuff from the ground and that's the stuff that needs to be uh seen and shared because if if there's going to be any upside to fucking internet and social media it has to be to spread stuff like this around and make sure people know about it i don't know yeah yeah i think it's uh it gives us a way to like get underneath that like hegemonic narrative and see what happens to real people every day yeah so yeah that's that's all <laughs> oh okay whatever that's the episode bye it could happen here is a production of cool zone media for more podcasts from cool zone media visit our website coolzonemedia.com or check us out on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts you can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.